Welcome to the Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts Arnold Segawa, Maggie Mutesi, and Dumi Jere, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks again for joining us on yet another episode of the Weekly Beats. My name is Maggie Mutesi, and uh, this episode is recorded live in Accra, Ghana, where I just attended a conference on commercializing African gas, organized by the Global Gas Center, Ghana Gas, and Mass Media, obviously being a strategic media partner. Such conversations are very timely, very critical at a time where we've seen the war in Ukraine leading to an increase in um, oil prices globally. And in Europe, they've announced a plan to make Europe independent of Russian fossil fuels by 2030. Obviously, what we've seen in Africa is a sizable old discoveries that have made Africa increase in its capacity to be able to supply gas and positioned us actually as a final frontier for hydrocarbon exploration. So there is an opportunity for Africa to reimagine uh, the future where oil and gas can actually be a catalyst to economic development on the continent. This we have seen in other regions. So obviously there's a chance for us to actually do it. Um, For me, I thought that, you know, a conversation like this at a point like this is very exciting, especially speaking to one of uh, the biggest players in the industry, who is the CEO and a renowned oil and gas engineer who has actually worked globally in the Americas, in Europe, and now in Africa. Dr. Ben K.D. Asante sits down with me to explore some of these things. Where do we start from? What are the opportunities and how do governments actually, you know, work with the private sector to be able to use gas, our oil in Africa, as a catalyst for development? Listen to our chat. There are actually two global phenomena. The first one you mentioned, which is the Russian-Ukraine war, actually present an opportunity for both oil and gas, and maybe to a limited extent, even coal. But decarbonization actually now puts the focus more on gas, because gas seems to be less atmospherically offensive compared to its other siblings, hydrocarbon siblings of coal and, of course, of oil. So the combined effect of the two global phenomena which is decarbonization and the Russian-Ukraine war puts the focus squarely on gas. I mean, some analysts have come out to say that it seems, and I I know we've covered this on the podcast before, um, whether we're actually ready to sit on the table and uh, have an equal negotiation when it comes to a critical um, situation like this. Is this something that crosses your mind? Yes, and I believe we are. I think in any negotiation, as you may be aware, you have to know really what your negotiating points are. You have to know the strength point that you're actually negotiating from. And when you have a case between Ghana, for instance, or any African country for that matter, and a European country, or to put it globally, Africa and Europe, what Europe is going through with respect to Russian oil and gas not being available limits their chances of actually negotiating. That is where I think Africans really can have, can be negotiating from a point of strength. In the past, mostly with production sharing agreements, you will find that because one, we do not have the resources to actually risk money in terms of 
exploration and production. We've not been negotiating from a position of strength, but here we have confirmed reserves, both in oil and gas, and we do have the surplus of it because we do not use all those domestically. So we have a surplus that we can ably share with our friends from Europe. We have a surplus, there is demand, but still we are, you know, big importers of uh, gas. When you look throughout the African continent, our contribution in terms of oil and gas reserves, and of course production um, globally, we account for about 10 to 12% of the total production. But our consumption is just about half that, even below that, just around 4 to 5% of what we produce. So you can see that quite a significant amount of what we produce is going outside. But we also have to drill down and see that even within the 54 countries in Africa, there are some who are net importers of these petroleum products. And there are some who are overwhelmingly net exporters. So it is incumbent upon us really to make sure that we have some connectivity between those who are net importers and those who are net exporters. Then we will find a real surplus with respect to Africa. And that is what I think should be going out and mm. must export to uh, our neighbors, whether in, in Asia or in Europe. I mean, looking at your presentation earlier this morning was uh, very commendable what Ghana has done. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously, uh, what are some of the low-hanging fruits? When you go to sleep, what is the one thing that worries you when it comes to achieving even further like you had presented this morning? One thing that I think we can do more of is to use more of our gas resources for non-power application. Currently, we use about 90% of the, our gas for power generation leaving a paltry 10% for non-power application, mostly heating. But we can also use gas as feedstock in the petrochemical and indeed agrochemical industries. Methanol production, for instance, fertilizer, for instance, and even pesticides. So I believe that once we expand our market into non-power applications, I think we will see that we'll have more uses of gas. Could you delve a little bit further when you say non-power uh, applications? Yes. So non-power application would be any application of gas that does not go into generation of power. Okay. So, yes, and in most African countries, we're looking more at electricity generation. So we use most of our resources, particularly most of our fossil fuels and hydrocarbon resources, for thermal generation of power. But there are other uses of gas beyond just thermal generation of power. And uh, gas, of course, can be used just for heating purposes. And in a country like Ghana and, you know, South Africa and even our neighbors in Nigeria and Ivory Coast, minerals, mineral resources are awash in all these countries. And heat would be a critical component for the processing of some of these mineral resources. So, and gas could be an incredible source of heat. Mm. So in Ghana, for instance, our bauxite deposits are tremendous. So we'll be looking at using gas for combined heat and power to be able to process our bauxite resources instead of just exporting the ore.
Mm. Yeah. I mean, you had a bit of skepticism. I don't want to say skepticism when it came to the, uh, trans, you know, uh, fossil fuels transformation and mm-hmm. uh, uh, how long this is going to take. Mm-hmm. But there is a paradox, which is uh, right now, you know, countries that are saying you need to move away from fossil fuels and go uh, green energy. Uh, the same country is coming back to say, oh, we need actually the fossil fuels. We kind of contradicting. And uh, there's a target that has been set for 10 years for that to be phased out. For example, in Europe, where you said something you're like, we don't know how long this uh, transformation is actually going to take. But voila, wherever, you know, gradually, however we go, um, we will see where, does this worry you? I mean, what do you anticipate? Is it too early for us, really? Yeah, I don't into think that really... Is there a chance to coexist with both? I believe there really is no finite time, come to think about it. So is that going to be like August 2nd, 2032 or what? So there really is not any finite time that I've had anyone actually point to. I think it will be driven mostly by how ready we are with renewables first to sustain our energy requirements and also the costs of the applicable technology to really wean ourselves off from the fossil fuels and employ these renewable energies. If that does not come in time, there is no way we are going to really transition that quickly. And again, I look at fossil fuel family and I'm looking at coal and oil and then gas. And I believe that the transition is going to be graduated. First, we're going to really wean ourselves off coal because the key issue is really carbon emission. And coal is probably the worst offender when it comes to that. Then it comes to oil before it comes to gas. And you can see that we are going from the solids to the liquids to the gaseous. And it really reflects the carbon count in each. The solids have more carbon count. And then the liquids, which are the oils, do have the medium. And the gas um, certainly has got the lowest carbon count when it comes to uh, atmospheric emission. So I believe that in terms of transition, in terms of timelines, we should be looking at these um, structures as well. The phases of matter, the solid, the liquid, and the gas as well, before we actually set the timelines. We can have a blanket 10, 20, or 30 years for all of them. We just can't. Particularly when we've not really assured ourselves that renewables are ready to take over exclusively from the fossil fuels. Obviously, and that also requires a lot of investment. The transition itself comes with a lot of money needed to transition from fossil fuels to green energies. Uh, one of uh, the speakers, especially from Senegal, mentioned that the biggest challenge they are facing is actually having um, the private sector support and uh, domestically having Senegalese private sector tap mm-hmm. into the oil industry. Is this something you're facing in Ghana? And if so, how are you dealing with it? I think um, in Ghana, probably unlike Senegal, The public sector is the biggest employer and the public sector is the one that actually has the biggest infusion of capital to whatever we do. But how sustainable is that? It is not. So we have to try to incentivize the private sector, really, to come and take over, you know, the economic reins, if you will, to try to drive some of these exigencies. And I see that we are taking small steps in Ghana. I think, for instance, in the oil and gas sector, we have given some concessions to private sector, what we, we call um, local content provision. 
And we actually are trying to force investors to provide private sector some of the opportunities within what they've come to do. So private sector can also participate along the entire value So that's, that's like in form of partnerships where if you come in to, to take a concession, you're required to, for, for example, Absolutely. partner with a local uh, private sector player. That's really amazing. Absolutely. And it comes with dual advantage. One, you're building intellectual capacity and one, you are getting the private sector to actually lead economic transformation. I think that is great. And uh, um, when we were winding up, uh, one of the things I, I really brought up was the fact that when we talk about oil and gas, especially when we have conversations with you, the experts in this sector, we tend to really speak pipelines and big projects and concessions. But this is a whole sector. If we're talking about sustainability and development, we're also looking at creating ecosystems around mm-hmm. this. And that mm-hmm. comes with human resources, comes with you know, different businesses built around that. Is this something that we can learn from, for example, if Ghana is doing something like that? And what are your thoughts around it? We haven't started yet. Not in a huge means, if you will. I think what we're doing in Ghana is we've actually set up a renewable energy department within the energy sector. And gradually, we're trying to harness what we can from both hydro, solar, and wind. We recognize that in terms of economies of scale, it's probably not gotten to the point where it can replace the fossil fuels that we're still actually leaning on. But we've taken the step. And um, we started, I would say, about 10 years ago, when we weaned ourselves off liquid fuels to use liquid fuel for power generation. Now we are totally using gas for all our thermal generation of power. So that is a huge step. And I did demonstrate that not only do we have some significant savings with that, but we also are saving a lot of emissions Mm -hmm. using gas instead of liquid fuels to generate equivalent amount of energy power that is. So we've taken some steps towards that fuel substitution from the liquid fuels to the gaseous fuels. And we've also moving from the fossil fuels gradually to the renewable energy. Currently, I think we are looking at about close to about 7% from renewable energies. It, it used to be a measly 2, 2 or 3% some five years ago. So we're taking those steps and we know that with time, we will just follow the rest of the world as well. And we are going to increase the share in terms of energy of renewables compared to fossil fuel. You talked about regional partnerships, mm-hmm. uh, which I find quite interesting, mm-hmm. given the history of uh, regional trade or you know mm-hmm. intra-African mm-hmm. investments in the past. Um, how is this working in terms of uh, oil and gas working within the ECOWAS? It has actually worked very well, even though we had some initial apprehension when we built that West African gas pipeline which serves three countries, Ghana being the anchor customer for the commodity that is coming from Nigeria. We're worried about trans-border regulatory issues. But what we did was we actually agreed on one regulatory body, which is the West African Pipeline Authority, WAPA. So WAPA is the one who actually regulates a pipeline that goes through four countries. So I think we can actually replicate that in other areas, whether it will be renewables or whether we are looking across other continental areas within Africa, East Africa, Central Africa, or even the Western part of Africa past Ghana. 
So I think once there's a will to agree on a common issue, whether it's regulatory or whether it's technical, whether it's operational, I think we can be there. And we can look at the West African gas pipeline again. And it's working well. It supplies now gas to Benin, Togo, and to Ghana. And it's worked very well. We also do look at probably trying to take advantage of the resource from places like Equatorial Guinea and looking at the requisite infrastructure that is required for us to help the neighboring countries within um, close Equatorial Guinea. So Equatorial Guinea can be the hub to supply these neighbors' gas resources. Mm. I mean, that's quite impressive. But uh, if I was an investor that is really excited about this uh, oil and gas journey for Africa, hearing all the opportunities presented with the demand that is rising globally and the oil discoveries that have been made in the past couple of years, Uganda, Tanzania, I mean, all these countries that are discovering all these uh, oil resources. What would you tell me as somebody who would love to tap into the sector? Absolutely, absolutely. I think... There are two things that you would have to look at in terms of opportunity that is being presented in Africa. The first is the enormous potential that exists locally for local development using these fossil fuels. And also the enormous potential that exists for for exporting these fossil fuels. So it's a two-pronged opportunity, if you will. One, looking at developing locally, using these resources, gas in this particular case, as the footstool for development, um, both in terms of the base for energy resource and also as feedstock for both the petrochemical and agrochemical application. But also looking at what is happening around the world. And I have to refer again to what is happening in Europe. There's a tremendous potential for export. And so any investor who comes through with financing for the infrastructure that is required to make both of these things happen, locally that is to actually tap into the ever-increasing or growing local market and also the export potential, I think those are the two things that I'll be looking forward to in terms of getting your money's worth when you invest here in Africa. Dr. Ben, thanks a lot for speaking to us. It was my pleasure. Thanks, Mike. And thank you for having us in Canada. And thanks again for having the time to listen to this episode. Uh, my name is Maggie Omotesi, as always. And uh, you can check out our latest episodes of products on www.mansamedia.africa. And also don't forget to sign up for our weekly newsletter that comes out every Friday, The Third Opinion. We give you a third take on the stories that have made headlines globally. As we always say, here's to peace and profits. Have a lovely week ahead. The Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts, Arnold Segawa, Maggie Mutesi, and Dumi Jerry, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa.